Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. Are you all scared? Are you all scared? Don't be. Don't be. As you'd be pretty, uh, uh, pretty tame in the context of what we're going to be talking about today. That was, that was the trailer, of course, from the classic film. No, you've not heard of it. I downloaded a ghost with Ellen Page. Who knew that existed? Um, but uh, that was a, uh, a sort of TV movie from the 19, or 1940s, I was say, 2005, which I didn't even realise you could download ghosts back in the day, but you could back then, apparently. Um, why did I play that, you may ask? Um, we played that because of our theme today. It is... Halloween. It's a creepy, spooky time of year. And it's the time of year where we all get all, well, you know, creepy, don't we, right? We all watch horror films and we all dress up as witches and, and all that kind of stuff. And But we're not going to be talking about horror films. We're not going to be talking about, um, you know, the, the, the Halloween film itself or any of that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about kids horror films because after all Halloween is for children people often maybe these days don't necessarily agree with that but you know it is it's a kids holiday isn't it um, and of course you're listening to the Screen Brum show here on Brum Radio where we explore everything that we've learned about life from a screen and we'd like to know what you have learned um, about being scared as a child so if you uh, have got any favourite horror films from your youth that, that you either as you watched as a child but more specifically that were aimed at children then tweet in and let us know at screenbrum or you can email us info at screenbrum.co.uk i got that right now haven't i tim it gets better every week i get better every week at remembering that address and um, that voice you heard there is that of mr tim wilson my co-host and uh, horror aficionado and be- I'm also pretty much a child compared to me as well. Hello, Always Tim. a child. Never stop being a child. Never, never stop. Never grow up. It's a trap. And indeed, I'm, I'm going to quote uh, Beetlejuice. Let's turn on the juice and let's and see what shakes loose. Beautiful. Oh, let's, yes. Let's turn on the juice and see what, what shakes, shakes loose. loose. Um, profound. Uh, very profound. And we are also joined uh, in the studio, uh, not by Lucy Beth, our regular uh, co-presenter, because she is going to see John Williams at the Royal, uh, at the, um, the, Albert the Albert Hall in London. So we're letting her off uh, this week. Um, but we have got a special guest in the studio, Dr. Kat Lester. Hello, Dr. Lester. Hello. Um, is that how we should address you? It makes you sound slightly like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> um, I'm quite happy with Cat. You can go with Dr. Cat if you want, um, which Kat. makes me sound like a small cat in Dr. like a lab coat Dr. or something. It does. That sounds like a brilliant, <laughs> a brilliant lost Hanna-Barbera cartoon. It's Dr. Cat. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you can uh, write a theme tune to the Dr. Cat cartoon, please send it through. Um, and yeah, maybe we should just go with Cat. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, Cat, you are um, an expert, really, on this kind of stuff, aren't you? I like to think so. Um, I have a so I did my PhD on children's horror. So you are um, a doctor, a doctor of, of children's horror. horror. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what is it that appeals to you about all of this kind of stuff? Why do you Why do you like it? Um, I think I've always, I always was interested in Halloween generally um, as a kid. It was always a really fun time of year. Um, you get to go out and ask strangers for sweets and dress up in a spooky outfit and 
that's pretty great. Um, but as as far as actually watching horror goes, I don't really think I got into that quite as much until more of my teen years. Um, and then getting to university, I was interested in studying children's books and films and also horror films. And then all of a sudden, um, it became clear that actually I could do both of those things at the same time and everything just kind of snowballed from there, really. When we, when we think of, of children's horror, you, you, when you said that to me initially, when we met, I thought... That doesn't exist. How? How? That that sounds contradictory. We don't want to frighten children, but it's, it's actually a huge area, isn't it? There's a lot of films in this space. It is. Yeah. Um, there are there are quite a few films which either um, we can specifically identify as being of the horror genre, um, and you also have another category of films which are children's films that have scary moments in them uh, that we wouldn't necessarily say are horror films, but they certainly have horrific moments that many people remember um, with fondness or perhaps um, terror and maybe a little bit of both. Mm. That's the sweet spot, isn't it? Fondness <laughs> yeah. and terror together. So let us know yours. Let us know uh, you out there. We're going to be, uh, Dr. Cat is going to be talking <laughs> us through the uh, her thoughts um, and also looking at some of the classic kind of big uh, films that perhaps sort of exemplify a lot of these themes. And Tim and I are going to be chipping in with our uh, top choices for children's horror films as well. But we tenuous want to... Tenuous that they are. Tenuous that they may be. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but let us know yours. Uh, TV counts, of course. We are Screen Brum. Anything with a screen um, counts. So if there is anything that, uh, that caused you terror as a child that was on a screen um, that was safe and you know I don't, we don't necessarily want to bring back any horrifying memories for you but uh, tweet us yeah we do yeah, well, <laughs> uh, apparently we do there That's we go <laughs> at Scream Brum there's your trigger warning from Dr. Cat um, whilst you're uh, getting your uh, whilst you're calming down from that I want to I'll play some music and, and Cat you've chosen uh, Season of the Witch by Donovan uh, a, a particular reason for this choice um, this um, well, I'm I'm not quite as clued in on music as I am as I am on films, but um, this song came to my attention when the film Paranorman, which hopefully we'll talk about later, mm. came out. It was in the trailer for Paranorman, um, so it has the Halloween children's horror link as well as just being a pretty good song. Brilliant. Well, let's start with that. Speak to you soon. <laughs> the season of the witch is halloween and that was season of the witch by donovan and that's from uh, para norman cat dr cat are we going with it then we're, we're going okay i've made a mistake sorry about that i dropped my notes there dr cat i'm gonna well okay uh now when we first asked people on twitter to t let us know about their favorite kids horror films a lot of things that people were doing were we're talking about kids in horror films, you know, The Exorcist mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. That's not your area. It's horror films for kids, right? Yeah, yeah. What is that? How do we so, define it? So, <laughs> um, films which were specifically made with predominantly a child audience in mind or maybe a family audience um, and which we can identify as being part of the horror 
genre. So they display many of the same characteristics, narrative structures, etc., as adult horror films do. But children are allowed to watch yeah, them. Exactly. Uh, um, and what is a child? I know that sounds stupid, yeah. but there's a lot of a lot of slasher films are about teenagers being mm-hmm. slaughtered and are aimed at teenagers. So what is a child as far as you're concerned? It's, it can be a tricky question, obviously, because what a child is can differ depending on um, what country you're in, what period of history we're talking about, mm. and all these different things. Um, but because we're talking mostly about American and kind of UK-centric stuff today... Um, that goes up to about the age of 18, right? But oh. that's but that's pushing it a bit. Legally, a child is up to the age of about 18 here in the UK. So I, I kind of cut it off at about the age of 12, 13 when it comes to children's horror, um, because otherwise you are getting into slasher movies, um, which I think we can all agree, probably we wouldn't show to a child on purpose unless we really hated them or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so up to the age of about... 12, 13, when you're starting to really um, become maybe more interested in those slightly older horror films for older for older kids and for adults. Mm. Um, but maybe kind of you might also not be quite ready for that yet. Mm. So it's hitting that sweet spot where you want the scary stuff, but you're not quite ready for it. Why do we want to frighten children? <laughs> Why do we want to frighten? I mean, we do. I mean, every, every nursery rhyme is terrifying as well, you know, and all these... If you think back to, you know, Grimm's fairy tales, they're all pretty terrifying. But why do we want to frighten mm. kids, do we think? I think the the better question is, why do kids want to be scared? I think, for, why do adults want to scare children? When it comes to fairy tales and things like that, it's so that we can teach them proper behavior. You know, it's the the moral of something like Red Riding Hood is, don't wander into the woods alone, don't take shortcuts, don't talk to strange wolves slash mm. men. Um so that's kind of obvious. It's to scare them from doing things they shouldn't be doing. Um, and then, but then the question is, why do children want to be scared as well? Because they, most of the time, you know, will watch these things voluntarily. And I think that it's for many of the same reasons that adults want to be scared as well. It's because it's a thrill ride. Mm-hmm. You can experience this emotion that if you were to really go out and be scared, you might be in a life-threatening situation. But when you're watching a movie or a TV program, um, it's more like the roller coaster effect where you can experience that thrill without putting yourself in mortal danger. Um, well, we certainly hope so. Tim, we've asked a lot of people on Twitter when they first saw scary films, and there was a lot of people's sort of slightly um, irresponsible older brother's letting them watch Hammer Horror movies at the age of six and seven, that sort of thing. What about you? Were you an early adopter of the uh, the horrifying when you were watching as a kid? It depends on the context. I think um, you were just, I think you've rightly kind of, well, thankfully, you've put the kind of the PG-13, 12A mm-hmm. compass onto where the, the definition lies. And I think for me, I, I, I actually, when I was looking back, um, it's, it's difficult to look back on your childhood because... What scared you, scared you then doesn't scare you now necessarily. Uh, in fact, what scared, 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 you, scared you then and scares you now are two different things. And actually, there's a dark comedy uh, underlying a lot of things I actually watched as a kid that scared me. Mm. And then there's also, it's not necessarily just films as a whole, but I, you go back to that thing you said at the start about moments. 
or scenes from films that you watch over and over again that either sort of freak you out and still freak you out and scare you. Um, so um, I don't know. I, I guess I, when I started to get conscious, when I started to remember things, everything from the, the theme to Tales from the Unexpected on oh, that intro even actually I had a skull on it that was terrifying the skull was terrifying but actually the, even 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 zooming in on the, the, the silver horse from the Anglia theme Anglia theme scares me as well because you're, you're going in on this guy's this guy's body and ah yeah. um, right through to you know uh, I, you know, I was an action film guy rather than a horror film boy sorry action film boy and so you know so I get freaked out by watching the uh, the scenes from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom yeah. and I watched uh, Gremlins at the age of about seven and I started. It's when you. I think it's when I really got exposed to things that were actually more than what I should be watching. Mm. That I started to realise my moral compass is changing here. <laughs> I don't know if I should be watching these things. You know, um, I think we've all talked. Um, there's been a big Twitter conversation about you know the what we watched in our bedroom in our black and white or colour TVs at night and turning on the TV or going around to your friend's house and watching films with 15 or 18 ratings when mm. you're at the age of eight or nine. You shouldn't be really. It must be whether... a lot easier for kids to do that now um, than yeah. it was then. It wasn't kind of this surreptitious video cassettes being handed around or whatever was on ATV at half past 12 at night. And I think it's a question for Kat is actually how the moral compass has changed since when we, we might have been younger, that uh, kids' exposure to things is more ready and um, immediate and you can go on YouTube and see scary things straight off the bat mm. without any kind of censorship. Mm. So I don't know how that has or changed the way that children's horror... I guess that's why it's good to have a cutoff point for 12, 12 APG, yeah. 13 audience idea. Um, no, that's a really good point. And I, it is a point of controversy with YouTube, for example. Um, they, they're not as good as they could be at um, filtering content on the kids section of YouTube. So quite often um, something that happens is that a kid will will click on a video that has got like an image from a Disney movie on it or something like Elsa from Frozen. And then actually what it will turn out to be is that some mean person has intercut something very not suitable for children um, in with that video. And that's a problem that that I think YouTube are having. Um, And a lot of these things as well. I mean, I I was reading an incredible article about these videos that that kids watch. This is a bit of an aside to us, but they're, they're generated automatically. They're, they're not even there's no human involvement there's some sort of algorithm that will just chuck a load of characters together so it might not necessarily be malice but there'll be Spider-Man being knocked over by a car um, just because they've just generated this content of a mm. car and, then, and, and, and it's creepy weird stuff but anyway that isn't our remake no, no. to hear. we'll be talking about films <laughs> proper films that are made for kids um, and you wanted to to start with a particular film didn't you Kat um, should we play the trailer and then people can uh... is it alright if I if I sort of preface it mm, first slightly um, so this is a film that's from 1980 I might save the surprise of what it is um, for the trailer but um, we're starting with 1980 but before then it's not that children's horror didn't exist at all um, in film or TV, but this is the moment, a kind of watershed moment, where in American cinema especially, um, you had just had the rating system come in, um, so films could be divided by um, by age for the first time, so um, it could be 
a P, something could be given a PG rating to signify it as suitable for children, or um, in America, an R, or here in the UK, um, 15 um, to signify that it was suitable for adults. So you have that division of age categories um, coming in um, for the first time throughout the kind of late 60s, 70s, and then into the 80s. Um, and before then, of course, you had films like um, Snow White or things like Frankenstein, which we know are early Hollywood films that um, had an appeal for children. Children liked to go and see them, which then caused much anxiety for adults <laughs> at the same time. Um, but you had a lot of these films which weren't necessarily made for children specifically or which had child characters in them. And with this film that we're about to hear the trailer from, that's when things start to change. Okay. Something happened in these woods. Something that has never been explained. And it's happening again. Now. Did you hurt yourself? Oh, it's just a little cut. What sort of person are you? Sensitive? Do you sense things? The past pursues the present like a recurring dream. What began as a game ended when a young girl vanished into thin air. was my daughter's name. What do you think happened to Karen? I think she's still out there. Karen is trying to come back. What did you see? Not Karen outside there. Don't you understand? It's someone else. Only Jan can help Karen. Betty Davis, Carol Baker, David McCallum, and Lynn Holly Johnson. Whatever happened to my Karen could happen to you. The Watcher in the Woods. A little bit of a, a little bit of a steal from Psycho there in the soundtrack. The Watcher in the Woods. Um, terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Bet Davis as well. Yeah, that's right. In one of her last screen roles I think mm. yeah um, 1980 mm -hmm. uh, so this this is a Disney film as well it is a is Disney film yeah so with The Watcher in the Woods um, Disney are having a bit of a bad time in the late 60s and throughout the 70s um, Walt Disney had died in the late 60s so they're kind of seeing a period where their films are not doing quite so well um, at the box office um, or with their critical reception and they start to realise that people don't really want to see the kind of happy-go-lucky sort of Disney films that that we associate with their brand. Mm. Um, so they're like, okay, people want to see darker stuff. Um, we'll do our version of The Exorcist. That's literally what one of the producers said. Wow. Um, and already you can imagine that that is a recipe for disaster. Um, Disney trying to do something like The Exorcist. And I think you can tell from that trailer that maybe it was going a bit too far. Um, you had, you know, the, the kind of rip off of the psycho music. 
Um, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit much for Disney at that time. Um, so it's a really interesting film, I think, um, mostly because of the way that Disney were trying to pitch it and they were trying to make a proper horror film for the first time. And unfortunately, that didn't really work out for them either. I think people at this time just weren't quite ready for that from Disney okay. just yet. Um, so it wasn't a commercial success? Not really, no. And it was also plagued with all sorts of problems in production, I think, which I think... Um, reveals the anxiety that they might have had about this film and and the fact that they were trying to do something a bit different. So there are lots of weird alternate endings that you can look at online um, where it turns out that the Watcher in the Woods is an alien from another dimension, all sorts of very dodgy special effects involved in that. Um, and something that we didn't hear in that trailer um, is that the, the tagline for the film was, it is not a fairy tale. So they were very much trying to distance themselves from the fairy tale kind of brand that people had come to know them as. Um, so they were very much trying to do something a bit darker. It didn't really work out so well. Uh, they try again with something um, a few years later in 1983 called Something Wicked This Way Comes, based on the Ray Bradbury novel. And again, um, it's a bit more of a, of a success, I think, at, at least in terms of its quality. Um, and it's worth revisiting, I think, if, if people haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it for a long time. Um, and But once again, that's not quite as successful as Disney wanted it to be in terms of its box office performance. Um, so the thing that really does change things in the 1980s is then the film Gremlins, which is not a Disney film. For those of you watching in black and white, uh, Dr. K is wearing Gremlins t-shirt. So I'm taking right. it you're a, yeah. you like this film. I love Gremlins. It's... Um, it is one of my favourite films, full stop, as well as one of my favourite children's horror films. Um, yeah, so Gremlins is is also a real turning point. Watcher in the Woods and Something Wicked, maybe, they try to do some interesting things, but they don't quite work. And I think the Disney brand is something to do with that, that people weren't quite ready for that yet. Um, Gremlins then um, is also... <laughs> It's questionable whether or not we can call that a children's horror film, but the way that it was marketed certainly implied that it was a children's horror film, at least in the States. It um, had Spielberg's name all over the posters and marketing. He didn't direct it, but a he was producing it. A lot of people think that he it. did, don't they? I think they do, yeah. So Joe Dante directed mm. it, but Spielberg produced it. His name was all over the marketing. They'd just done E.T., which is a more family-friendly film, although not without some scary moments as well. Lucy had a th an issue with E.T., didn't she? Lucy Beth, she, she's, she's, probably, she's properly scared of E.T., the monster. Yeah, mm. yeah it's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Really? Okay. Oh, well, the, the gremlin monsters, we've talked about this before on the show, are fascinating piece of design. Because they're just, they're not like anything else. Chris Wallace at his best. Yeah, they're not a, a monster that you've seen before. A brilliant piece of design. Anyway, mm. sorry, Kat, you were talking That's about right. Gremlins when it came out. Yeah, and um, it had a PG rating, which implied that it was suitable for most children, very mm. family-friendly. The way they, um, they, they had lots of tie-in merchandise involved with it as well, like cuddly gizmo toys. Gizmo's the little gremlin creature. Um, they made a Gremlins cereal. They had board games, um, audio books, and all these other things, which implied that it was very much targeted towards a child audience. And then the film comes out, and you have um, something like the kitchen scene, which 
have you seen Gremlins recently? Do you I, remember I, this? I, I don't. Full on. Are they nice? <laughs> it is full, full on. on. That's yeah. not PG. No. Um, but it's this famous scene from the film where um, a bunch of the... So there are two types of gremlin creatures. There's the cuddly gizmo and then these more lizard-like evil creatures. Mm. And they're kind of wrecking this town and a housewife kills them all with various kitchen appliances, Very including oh. including blowing one up in a microwave. <laughs> um, it's great. It's one of my favorite things ever. Um, but, it, but so people who had gone in expecting something a bit like E.T. really weren't expecting something like a gremlin being blown up in a microwave. So this, um, unlike the Disney films I've spoken about, this was a big box office success. It was a, it was a huge smash. Um, but because of this kind of um, slight controversy about the PG rating, that then helped to usher in the PG-13 rating, which is quite similar to the 12A that we have here in the UK, which meant that you could um, you could make a film that did push those boundaries a little bit, that could include scarier elements, more adult elements, um, but kids could still go and see it um, if they if their parents felt that they they were able to deal with it. Mm. Um, and this means that you, you can get more films a bit like Gremlins coming out later on in the 1980s, which have PG-13 ratings and which can push those boundaries, can include those horrific elements, but they're not going to cause such a media storm because it's got a PG-13 rating on it so people know that it might not be suitable for, for younger children. Um, and so you have something like Monster Squad, which... Mm. Um, is developing quite a cult following. It was basically um, a sort of Goonies ripoff, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you know, yeah. like, Shane Black is credited as the writer on that. He's credited, right. yes. One of the writers, yeah. anyway. He's one of the writers. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, um, it's a good can film. You feel that on reflection. Yeah. It's, a good, mm. yeah. it's a very good film. Is it set at Christmas? <laughs> no, no, it's no, not. No, it's not fully um, Shane Black, then. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and what else? You, and, and around this time, you also have lots of other films coming out, which um, we wouldn't necessarily call horror, not in my opinion anyway, but which have a lot of these very horrific elements in them. Something like Return to Oz, um, Labyrinth, um, The Dark Crystal, a lot of these films which um, are more on the fantasy side, but which are also playing with those darker elements, um, and which I know a lot of people who grew up around that time find very memorable mm. um, whether for good or for bad i am certainly one of those people and definitely uh yeah feel that um i mean labyrinth was for, for some reason the, the the scariest thing for me in labyrinth was the pit of eternal stink which is uh, <laughs> if you if you even a tiny part of you gets dropped in it you smell forever and you can't mm. wash it off for some reason that resonates <laughs> as a teenager right <laughs> yes yeah my bedroom was the pit of eternal stink well that's a different that's a different story um, thank you for that I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of music now whilst we um, we wait for some tweets we've got already already and we'll talk them through but I wanted to play a piece of music um, called Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's not from the film, but it is from the, the composer Barry Adamson, who does a lot of soundtracks, and he's absolutely brilliant. So have a listen to Something Wicked This Way Comes and tweet us at Screen Brum, what scary films like you? Called Something Wicked This Way Comes, which we have heard about as 1983, one of Disney's well, pretty much their last foray into Jordan's Horror as well as their second. Is that right? Have they done much since then, Dr. Um, no, you have uh, later films like, uh, in 1993, Hocus Pocus, mm. which is another big cult favourite, I think. 
Um, Bette and Midler, that's, isn't it? Yeah, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, and But that's one that is not anywhere near as scary as something like Something Wicked. So I think by this time in 1993, they've kind of learned their lesson a little bit. Um, so it's very Halloween-like. It's set on Halloween, but what I mean by that is that it's got elements like witches and zombies and things, but it's not really scary. It's all very fun. Um, so I think they've learned their lesson by that point. And then later on, you have things like, um, oh, the same year, actually, Nightmare Before Christmas, and later on, Frank and Weenie. So they, they don't drop horror altogether, but I think they learn their lesson a little bit that they, they can't push things quite as far as they end. did in the early 80s. Um, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for your tweets so far. I've had some fantastic um, things already. Lots of um, other love for, for the witches, which we may talk about later. And Nicholas Rogue, of course. Um, Feathers and Wings have asked uh, that Tim's mic be turned up. No one's ever said that before. How's but, that? Um, it actually happens. It happened last time as well. Yeah, well, I, I've yeah. been subtly trying to turn it down, but you know, who knows? People like listening to you. Yeah, um, Roger has, has tweeted in his favourites: uh, Monster House, The Hole, Gremlins, and Goosebumps. Um, and um, uh, Chris Watt has talked about um, the witches being. Um, it's terrific, but man, it's sinister, and the makeup is terrifying. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. The witches is a film in preparation for the show i watched it last night with my seven-year-old daughter she was absolutely fine i mm. was terrified it's amazing uh, and uh, lucy beth has tweeted in hello lucy um she showed one of her friends gremlins when they were about 10 or a year or two younger and her parents had to come and collect her after she started screaming during the kitchen scene <laughs> so yeah. there you go something I, I didn't mention before as well is that another big part of gremlins that was very controversial was nothing to do with horror really but because there's a bit where one of the characters explains how she found out that santa claus doesn't exist which is very grisly but so you can imagine if you were maybe a parent of like a five or six year old at the time who still believed in santa and listeners uh yeah. this the <laughs> yeah. non-existence of santa claus is merely the yeah. opinion of uh, of dr cat that's not a, a fact it's not official screen brum policy carry on okay um yeah so yeah that's terrifying that bit horrible yeah it's it's Probably something you wouldn't have expected from um, an E.T.-esque Spielberg film at the time. So lots of parents probably having awkward conversations with their kids after that film. And uh, I, I know people who, with kids who skip over just that scene, not any of the other bits, like the really horrific, gory bits, but just just that bit, yeah. because that's the bit that kids actually might find more distressing. That's yeah. a very a very interesting point. Um, so... Um, Thank you again for you two. We've had lots of contributions. Tim and I have also got um, uh, some favourites. And I just wanted to, because you've talked about Disney, I wanted to actually shout out one of my favourite um, kids' horror films. Um, and I'd be interested to know if you are aware of this one, Cat, which is 1929. So we talk about early Disney horror, The Skeleton Dance. I do know The Skeleton mm. Dance. Um, yeah, very appropriate for Halloween. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. directed by Disney himself. Um, it's um, apparently it was banned in Denmark. I've learned um, for being too macabre hmm. uh, in 1931. It's just great to watch. It's a it's a basically a short animated piece of music with some skeletons dancing in a graveyard. Hmm. Um, it's a kind of 
modern version. I think it was one of the first times we'd seen that kind of dance macabre, that kind of Victoria, uh, sorry, that medieval kind of yeah, imagery. I think it was quite, quite notable at the time for animation because it's very intricate animation. It's well. fabulous. Yeah. It has it has sort of 3D sort of skulls coming right out at you. It's got the full kind of Halloween bit. It's, you know, it's bats, owls, spiders, moonlight, graves, black cats, the whole thing. It's very playful and entertaining, it's, isn't it? It's, mm. it's great fun. It's it's also I'd, really weird. I'd want to see that on the big screen. So yeah. I've only seen it on the deal TV. With great, with, with great music as yeah. well. I mean, it's mm. just, I don't think you'd see it these days. It's odd. You know, you see these little Pixar shorts. We're used to seeing these short animated films, which they're usually very quite cute and warm now this has just got you know skeletons playing this xylophone on each other's bones and stuff yeah they like dismantle each other mm. and use each other's like rib cages and xylophones and stuff it's yeah. all a bit it's fabulous weird. so um so uh, yes if you're looking for a spooky um film to show your kids um that would be my choice disney's the skeleton dance 1921 it's about five minutes long i think it was one yep. of the first one of those kind of shorts that that he did actually um, uh, I think they did a sequence of them to music. Um, mm, yeah, they they had a few um, kind of gothic sort of short films around that time, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Probably okay. the best one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Tim, do you want to 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 give us another choice? We've we've uh, yeah, talked some already. Anything that you want to recommend? I, I was just going to quickly add before I pick one. It's interesting how the PG thirteen certificate has really uh, morphed into being this thing now that actually the studios want to get their films to be PG thirteen. So they have to add what Spielberg calls hot sauce into the films because they know that kids won't go and watch films that are PG. Right. Because it might not be seen, it'll be seen as too young for them. The only people who get away with your PG are are basically Pixar, Disney, those guys. Okay. And, um, you know, it's just so interesting how it's become that thing now to get that one F word in or to get that, sorry, one one word of bad language Um, (laughs) or, you know, one one reference to sex or one reference, you know, just to make sure that it gets a PG-13. And actually, it's, it's interesting. It took five years, didn't it? We were talking about this off off camera. Five years before um, BBFC, uh, British Board of Film Classification, responded to the PG-13 in the States with the 12 certificate, which would came in for Batman. Mm-hmm. And then the 12A certificate, which enabled an advisory so you could take kids in before the uh before before the age of 12 so that came in for um, the born identity i think and spider-man, spider-man at yeah. that time born identity was the first 12a mm. and then spider-man came in so it's interesting how um we've been reactive and the america i know i think we have been quite reactive to it but i think we're also i think we're less we're less um, emotionally inclined to get responding than the american audiences are i think that they were with gremlins and with, and with temple of doom that was a big year and I think Spielberg has actually been synonymous with a lot of these. Uh, mm. He he really does and has tested the certificates that his films go in. So when he does top end 12A, he does top end 12A. I mean, if you look at something like The War of the Worlds mm. with its 9-11 apocalyptic imagery, and it's not a film aimed at kids at all. That is a film aimed at adults mm. as, and really strong top end 12A imagery. You know, there's a blurred line now between 12A and 15, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of films. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but um, going back to my choice, I'm going to throw in my, my very personal choice, which is uh, 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think you knew this was coming. Um, it is actually um, a film that's got scarier as I got older. Um, I was always kind of... Um, uh, it was at the time it was a series of scenes that used to really scare me so the tunnel scene um, the first encounter that Charlie has with Dr. S- with Mr. Slugworth and uh, you know he's you know um, running through the tunnel with the golden ticket joyfully and then da-da 
I'm going to talk to some teens. I'm going to scare you. And, and, um, and then, but the film is a dark, a, you know, it's a dark and all-encompassing experience. I think, you know, even with the sort of euphoria of following our glorious Charlie around, all these horrible children with their faults and their traits. And even Charlie has one moment. It's a, it's a very moralistic tale, mm. and that's what makes it scary. I think. But it, it has a sweetheart at its, and I think it's those. I always like those films where you have a contradiction between the sweetheartedness of it versus the darkness and the the trappings of childhood, the trappings of wanting, the chap, the trappings of kids who um, who misbehave, um, and of course Gene Wilder and Gene Wilder. Yeah, Gene Wilder, to. he he. Um... Apparently, he, he designed the scene as a scene earlier on, isn't he? When he's walking very slowly with a walking stick, uh, and then he drops the walking stick, and you think, Oh, goodness, he's going to fall over, and he just sort of backflip. It's the forward roll. And yeah, yeah. that's right. And uh, he designed that to say, to, so that the kids would know right from the start not to trust him <laughs> with anything, that he was constantly lying yeah. to them. <laughs> it's just. Uh, he's, oh, yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, and the other thing that really makes it work is it's in 1971, you know, this is the period where thing, you know, you, you have the glitz and glamour of the 60s. In the early 70s, things are slightly off. Mm. It, you know, colours are off. People, what people wear is slightly off. Everything's slightly too large or ill-fitting. Um, there's a kind of psychedelic, post-psychedelic age to mm. some of the aspects of the film. It's a whole down kind of thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the, the, room that, the room that gets big, it gets smaller instead of bigger, you know, the it's full of strange imagery mm. um, and it's very funny uh, even within its darkness I think it is a kids horror film yeah, I think it's Roald Dahl I mean we can go yeah I mean it's the second Roald Dahl thing that's, that's come up and yeah. he was great at that kind of thing yeah yeah. it's joyful um, joyfully scary yeah so that's my choice excellent excellent choice and uh, we'd like to see some more uh, of those from you so do tweet us at Screen Brum um, Feathers and Wings has commented that Santa does exist so that's another point of view um, Kat and it's not uh, Christmas yet can uh, we save this conversation uh, does remember the skeleton dance um, so um, Tim and I have, have given you some of our um, half-hearted um, I was going to say half-hearted but our uh, ill-thought-through conclusions but tell us more uh uh, about your point of view, Kat. What would you like to talk about next? Um, well, we can segue quite nicely from um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, actually, that idea of moralistic horror for children um, and the idea of what what is the function of horror in these children's films and programmes. Um, and horror has a tendency to get spoken about in contradictory ways in relation to children in our culture um on the one hand it's something that we f feel the need to protect children from um especially the more hardcore kind of stuff like the exorcist and things like that um and we've had some moral panics throughout recent history in the uk especially like um the the murder of james bolger in the early 90s which was thought to uh, which was committed by two other children um, and they were thought to have been inspired by one of the Chucky films um, these kind of moral panics which used horror as a scapegoat to explain bad behavior in children so there's the, this idea that horror is a corrupting influence on children that we need to protect them from on the other hand there's this idea that horror can be used to teach children things and we already spoke about that a bit in relation to um, Grimm's fairy tales for example um, and this is a theme that we get coming up in children's horror films as well, especially more recent ones. The idea that 
horror is something that can be used for good um, and that actually being exposed to horror, um, the right amount of it anyway, can be something that can be good for children and help them to um, not be scared of things. And um, by facing your fears, you will overcome them and that you will grow as a person and this will help you in your growing up into a kind of well-adjusted adult in big scare quotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, 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 there's a great, uh, you know, I think that The Witches is a great one for that. Which, Absolutely, um, yeah. I watched the first time last night um, and blew me away. I read it with my daughter um, and then I watched it with her. Um, and it's fabulous. Mm. The costumes, the sets, the the the, the makeup, and the yeah. masks, and everything. Angelica oh, Houston is just fantastic, both in and out of the horrible, scary witch yeah. makeup, which was by um, it was the Jim Henson Jim company Henson, that worked yeah. on the 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 makeup for that. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, the only thing I, su- I was surprised actually when I watched it was they bottled the ending a little bit. Because the book has a very dark, mm. uh, well, quite dark ending, uh, and it was a little bit of a, a, a little kind of, um, yeah, a little bit of a softener. But then, mm. what do you know? Nick I, I have a controversial opinion about that, which is that I, I think I prefer the film's ending. Um, I think that the book's ending is very bittersweet and works in one way, but. I also find the idea that this kid is going to live forever as a mouse quite depressing. Yeah. And so the film, um, it might be a bit overly saccharine, but the film um, allows him to turn back into a boy and live the rest of his life um, and continue to kind of kill witches. Or yeah, whatever. there's certainly a lot of, I mean, it's yeah. gruesome as well. And of course, it has Mr. Bean in it, so we, <laughs> the kids have yeah. got it. All, there's a slightly weird subplot with him, a slightly unpleasant subplot with him. Yeah. Anyway, it's moving on from that. Fantastic. Now, um, I've got you've got another um, clip queued up here. This is from uh, a film a lot of people might think has got Kira Knightley in mm-hmm. the hole, but it doesn't. It yeah, doesn't. there's another the hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is a film from when? 2009. It is directed by Joe Dante again, who directed Gremlins. Um, but let's have a let's have a listen to the clip, okay. and then you can tell us a little bit more about why you like it. And I'll do it even better when I press the right channel on the uh, fader. Excuse me, everyone. I thought you said this wasn't going to be that different from the last place. It won't be once we get our stuff moved in. We 
all saw that, right? You're talking about the little girl that just crawled into the bottomless pit under your house? Yeah. I think we all saw that. Daddy! How do the two of you feel about having the house to yourselves? Bad. There we are. We've all experienced uh, finding a doorway into the darker regions of uh, parallel universes in our house. Um, I have to say, uh, this is a film I haven't seen, um, largely because I thought it was, well, largely, but I thought it was a, a, it looked like a proper scary horror film for grown ups. And I hadn't realized it was a a kid's film. It is pretty scary, actually, I think. But um, no, it is, it is a kid's horror film, but one that, is definitely pushing things a bit more. It's, so it came out in 2009, but is very much kind of in that that vein of the 1980s ones, which were pushing things a bit more, like Gremlins, um, same director. Um, so it's at the upper edge, but well worth seeing, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what's it about? Is this, oh, is this some, you know, there's, it's just scary, right? <laughs> um, too much? This is a film about... Um, two boys who move with their mother into a new house and they discover in the basement of this house um, a trap door which is bolted shut and like anyone in a horror movie Mm. does they do the probably very stupid thing and they take off all of the padlocks and they open this hole and it seems to be bottomless Mm. Um, and they don't really know what to make of this Um, they meet a next door neighbor, um, a teenage girl, and the three of them then start to become uh, kind of haunted by their worst fears. So having looked into the hole, it is then manifesting itself as their worst fears. Um, And so you have a little boy um, whose worst fear is clowns. So he gets chased by this genuinely, extremely creepy clown doll. Um, You have... um, the, the teenage girl who is kind of haunted by this memory that she had of, of a friend of hers who died when, when she was much younger. Um, and the teenage boy, Dane, who um, is haunted by his father, his absent father, who actually abused um, him and his younger brother when they were younger. And he's, his fear is the most, the darkest and most mature of these, um, of all the children in the film. He's afraid that he's going to become his abusive father. So it's a film that, um, like I said, it does push things a bit. um, And it's it's nice because it's not just about um, monsters under the bed and zombies and werewolves and Mm. those kinds of things, which you can sometimes get um, in a lot of children's horror. It goes to a darker place and it tries to address um, a very real pertinent fear that a teenage boy could have Mm. um and so what the kids have to do in order to get rid of these fears is to just confront them and that's the way that they will then disappear um the hole will then um sort of get filled in it won't be bottomless anymore but it gets filled in so um and and dane um he faces the fear of his father and and as as in doing so, he overcomes that fear, and they all kind of finish as um, well-adjusted young adults who are now ready to go out into the world and not be scared of clowns or um, abusive fathers anymore. This is we've, we've had quite a lot of comments on that whole that idea of of kids kind of 
you know, the, the value of being exposed to this type of thing. Um, Lucy Beth said that she agrees completely. We learn a lot from horror as children and most enjoy it, telling ghost stories as sleepovers. Um, B-Film have said, um, this is a nice story here, kids handle horror better than adults. I once say babysat a friend's kid and showed them Pixar's Jack Jack attack, but turned it off halfway through because of the horrific images, only for the kid to gleefully tell her returning mum that the baby on fire was great, which is, which is not what you want to hear from your babysitter. It's the, best part, it's the best bit of the whole film is when he uh, starts discovering his powers. Baby Jack. So yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Richard Langley has said he's uh, it's not a horror film exactly, but he watched Coco with his seven-year-old last night, nice. and it's one of the best films about death he's ever seen. Mm. Emotional, responsible, engaging, endearing, and heartwarming, full of lessons on life, grief, and family. Just eight might appear in my top ten. Yeah, so there's definitely you know there's definitely a whole thread here of and and it can't be kids spot it a mile off if you're trying to be worthy and trying to be you know it has to be age, it has to be fun as well, right? Yeah, and the whole definitely is fun as well as. Um, quite scary as well and it's it is a lot of children's horror films have this theme of you have to face your fears to overcome them but with the whole that's the whole story mm. um, and it does it really really well I think it's very effective and a uh, similar thing happens in, in one of the Harry Potters as well isn't it where they have the your worst fears coming out of a wardrobe oh, and that's the Bogart yeah, yeah, that, yeah that absolutely terrified me yeah. actually and you get rid of it by turning it into something silly, don't something you? Something ridiculous. Yeah. I actually yeah. think that uh, we've talked about Harry Potter before. And I think that when Prisoner with Prisoner of Azkaban, they they toned it up. You know, um, Kuron just basically actually made the brought the horror element right mm. into the fore. Mm. You know, I'm just bringing in Gary Oldman's character, bringing in Sirius Black, and everything just went. Whoop. Well, the Dementors in that are absolutely uh, yeah. Terrifying. Dementors are really scary. Mm. Yeah. Um, right, I'm going to calm it down a little bit now because I want to play some music, and I want to play some music from my first exposure to horror as a child. And this is something I'd be interested to know if either of you know what it is. Let's play it. <laughs> was the laugh at the end that uh, got me as a kid. Mm. That was from the kids' TV show Rent-A-Ghost. Uh, Dr. Cat is uh, a lot younger than, than Tim and I, so she's just looking blank because it ran from 1976 to 1984. Right. It was a BBC okay. TV series, nice series of it, uh, but where there were essentially a bunch of ghosts for hire getting up to all sorts of funny games. And then Mr. Claypole, who was the main character throughout the whole thing, was played by an actor called Michael... Uh, Stanforth, uh, who was from Sunny Oak, he was a Brummy, and he actually wrote that and sang the theme tune. Uh, mm. He died at a very young age, unfortunately. Um, uh, it was great. It had um, various people you know. There's someone in it who's in Coronation Street. Sue Nichols, right? Sue Nichols, that's yeah, yeah. right. And uh, and but I discovered one of the ghosts was played by a pre-writing fame, Linda Laplante. Yes. Author of Prime Suspect. Um, so there you go. If you uh, know what I'm talking about there, that is one of Brake's other choices. Rent-A-Ghost. Um, not a terrifying horror, hmm. but it was quite scary because it had that laugh and it had Mr. Claypole. And I can't remember whether they wiggled their nose or wiggled their ears to teleport. Which one was it? Can you remember, Tim? I can't. No. They used to do that. And I used to... I, was, I think it was their nose. Someone's going to know. Tweet in, please. I loved, I loved practicing it when I was a kid, hoping that you could disappear. Because, you know, that's what, pretty much what you want to do as a kid, right? <laughs> anyway. I think it's a great choice. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, was always, I always had a question about Mr. Mumford and his mm. son and whether the band was named after 
Mumford and Sons. Yeah. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. Someone, someone can tell me, because that's far more interesting than the band itself. So That's the last time you'll hear Mumford and Sons Mentioned on, on this show. This show. <laughs> um, so there we go. Um, sorry. So, Kat, that's something you've not heard of. We'll move on, shall we? Sure. Okay. Um, um, so we could stick with the, the theme of kind of horror as being good for children a little bit. Because um, so I wanted to mention um, another film... Paranorman, which mm. we heard, we heard, so we heard Season of the Witch, which was used in the trailer of Paranorman. Um, and it's a stop motion animated film by a studio called Laker. And I wanted to bring this up because it's a film about a little boy called Norman. Uh, he's a strange little boy because he can see and speak to dead people. Mm. So it's kind of like Sixth Sense, but much more toned down, much more fun, crossed with the Goonies. Um, but Norman also is a big fan of horror films and he the film opens in fact with a kind of pastiche of um, a sort of 1980s low budget zombie film um, and his parents seem to think it's a bit weird that he wants to watch things with quote sex and violence in them Um, but the film always treats this as if it's completely normal that he likes horror films, and in fact that it might even be a positive influence on him um, and that he's better equipped to deal with the horrors that he sees in real life, the zombies and ghosts that he then has to kind of fight later in the film mm. because he's encountered horror through through TV and through movies. Um, and so it's a more of a meta idea than what's going on in the whole because it's very much about the idea that it's a children's horror film about the idea that children watching horror is a good thing. Mm. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, do you have, as an academic, do you have a kind of position on any of this? I mean, is there, is there, you know, this, it's constantly, you know, been a debate. It's dampened mm. down lately, but certainly in the 80s, 90s, you know, uh, the danger of being exposed mm. to to certain types of films you know do you do you have a view on that do you think there is a danger perhaps not necessarily obviously watching frankenweed but is there a danger do you think watching the exorcist and at the age of eight whatever is you know is going to have kind of lasting impact on a kid it could certainly have a lasting impact um i mean a lot of the things that we've spoken about already in tweets that people are sending in People have long-lasting memories about things that they've watched as kids, mm. but I, none, none of us in this room are like kind of murderers or psychopaths. I don't think I'm. I would <laughs> be willing to bet. That. I'd be willing to bet that pe- the people tweeting into us are not psychopaths either. Um, so you know, they, these memories stick with us, but I don't necessarily think they do lots of damage. And these scares that have happened um like the the james bulger incident in the 90s for instance um horror films got blamed for them but there was never any real proof they were just being kind of used as scapegoats to um avoid talking about other reasons that children might lash out and do violent things Mm. um it's probably not because of anything that they saw on tv it's probably because of something else that was seriously wrong Mm. um in their lives so I'm also hesitant to say that horror is also good for children because it's also very difficult to prove that. But it is interesting that it keeps coming up as a theme in lots of children's horror films and television programs. Certainly we have this idea as adults that horror can be good for them. Um, 
all I care about is that I think that horror is fun and that children should be allowed to watch it just as adults should be allowed yeah. to watch it if they want to. I, I, I'm interested in, in uh, a number of the tweets that we've had about the things that really scared people when they were younger. Um, Scott Johansson's mentioned two things. One is threads, which is not aimed at kids, but when the wind blows, which was the uh, Raymond Williams, I keep saying Raymond Williams, who, who do I mean? Um, I can't remember. Uh, um, uh, I know what you mean. The, yeah. the animation mm. that is um, about a nuclear war. Um, a lot of those, you know, those things were absolutely terrifying. But, you know, again, there is a benefit possibly in that because it did make a, a generation of children terrified of nuclear war, which is probably on balance a legitimate thing to be scared of. Raymond Briggs, yeah. Raymond Briggs, mm. something. Yeah, sorry, or Raymond thinking, something. Yeah. Um, so, yes, um, Scott's also talked about, um, similarly, all those public information films of the 70s and 80s that were made, you know, to stop the, the, yeah. the spirit of dark and lonely water was, you know, was one of the te- most terrifying the kids in the substation. Oh, absolutely horrifying. Very well done. Yeah, um, and you know, they, there was obviously a, a, a kind of point at making kids scared of those things. Mm. So, um, so yeah, thank you all for your tweets. Um, Brum Cinema Addicts have talked about Chucky. Yeah, I was going to go to Chucky. As so well. not Chucky, but Chucky, not Chucky, no. which was a, a TV series of the, I guess, early eighties mm. uh, about an alien and a, and a boy. Um, and also, now, I'm going to play this because it is unbelievably scary. So if you are of delicate, uh, you know, just be aware. <laughs> sorry, I've just seen what's coming yeah, up. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to play the theme tune to, uh, to a TV series. Um, now, bear in mind, this, this was a children's television program, okay? Um, and children were, <laughs> were, 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 were being left alone. And I just, love it. Just listening to this. Oh, yeah. Start with. What? What's going on? That was the, chul- the theme tune of the Children of the Stones. And, and this, this was a TV series. And we'll talk a bit about mm. that because... You know, we've talked about films, but we were just talking off air there that there was something particularly creepy as a child to watch something on TV. Obviously, you wouldn't get to the cinema as much. We didn't have, you know, YouTube and all that. And and but these were kind of you know, low budget British things. The kids looked like us. The settings looked like us. Um, and um, there was something particularly creepy about them. Do you think? Very much so. Yeah. Um, I have to say that Children of the Stones is not something that I ever encountered. As a child, sort of but even now, like thing. I've seen bits of it and it's um, very unsettling. Um, and there's, there is this idea that um, horror is perhaps even more suited to television than to any other media. Mm. And m- my PhD supervisor, Helen Wheatley, kind of talks about this um, in her research. No relation to um, Dennis. No, uh, not not that I know of. Um, that would make a lot of explanations. <laughs> Carry on. Um, this idea that, yeah, uh, be- because it's something that we watch inside our own home, especially at the times when these were made, Children of the Stones, you couldn't quite watch films mm. in the home quite as easily. Um, and that there is something about that location in the domestic space that, that can make the experience more scary. Yeah. Um, and... I think a lot of the time children's horror on TV can be even more impactful and perhaps even push boundaries even more because it's on television, perhaps. Um, I think 
we actually tend to take for granted that horror on TV could is not going to be as effective, and that that taken for grantedness actually means that TV TV horror can push things a bit more, do things that you might not be able to do in a film, especially a children's film. Yeah. And just, get away with it because yeah. adults might be like, okay, it's on TV, you're watching it at home, so you're going to be fine. Yeah. But actually, it might turn out the other way that you're seeing things that you wouldn't be able to see if you went to the cinema. One of the other things that, that was one of my choices is um, a TV series. No one else seems to ever remember this. There was a, uh, again, obviously because I'm really old, but 1980, there was a BBC TV series called Spine Chillers which was um, basically a series of sort of Jack and Ori, scary Jack and Ori. They were just read out. But Jonathan Price did a lot of them, and he was in a sort of Victorian drawing room telling these sort of MR, literally M.R. James stories, and sort of unedited with the, the same language, with a kind of increasingly frightening soundtrack behind him. Terrifying. Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine that these programs would get made now. Mm. Um, just just crazy. You know, there was no. it was a full-on just 10-minute ghost story basically but yeah that's another one of my choices any other any other sort of uh, TV horrors that horrified you Tim I think I can vaguely remember watching The Box of Delights mm. um, oh, that's Proper John Maysville every Christmas every, yeah and Chucky I think we've mentioned I mean just watch the title sequence of Chucky and not be freaked out by that mm. um, I think also there's something about again there's a correlation you mentioned 1980 as a turning point in movies I think there was clearly a turning point in the early 80s for BBC Kids and ITV Kids output, there was mm. a competition between the two channels, mm. and so you know they upped the drama quota of mm. what went out in that kind of five o'clock post five o'clock slot. It wasn't Blue Peter or Grange Hill. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a, a, lot more a program, The Owl Service, which was I think the late sixties, early seventies, which um, I think is probably one of the earlier ones that does that and then you get even more like children of the stones um a yeah. bit later on in the 80s yeah exactly and you know obviously doctor who people will bring up for mm -hmm. its various uh, many scary moments um and i think um what's also happened is that i think scariness tends to f I, I think now that kids will watch I don't know, The Simpsons for those Halloween episodes and get all those... Um, and I don't know how much those Halloween episodes are just aimed at adults to re the reference points to things mm. that are constantly, you know, they're jokingly, jokingly... Um, and, and again, things like the Itchy and Scratchy show. And I, I just think of how... I don't know, again, how much it's been diluted, the effect of scares on TV. And that, that we we sat down and watched TV, and the kids are less likely to do that now, aren't they? I think that's my... well. There's so many more options. There's so many more options. Yeah, B Film has, has tweeted in that their first and weekly experience of horror as a kid was the original Scooby Doo. Of course, the yeah. No Face Zombie Chase Case apparently is one of the best episodes. Um, uh, I've I've been watching. It's, they still make those, and I watched bizarre. It's, it, recently, I watched one with my kids. There's um. One of them, one of the team left for a bit and was replaced by a character called Hot Dog Water. I have no what? idea. I know, it's a weird name. I know that one. Um, um, and uh, yeah, a strange That's business bizarre. that was. But yeah, everyone, everyone loves Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, sorry, um, Scooby-Doo. But one of the, um, the, the comforting things in that, of course, was that, you know, it was always turned out to be, you know, the, the, 
the guy who owned the hotel uh, behind it and it was always a reassurance yeah it's quite predictable yeah. so you kind of always knew where it was going it always told you there yeah. isn't really a ghost whereas I think later on they now actually have ghosts in and real monsters and stuff mm. I will say this the thing that most scared me as a kid was Ghost Watch if you remember the TV oh. the one off TV special with Michael Parkinson and Sarah Green yeah. where it was the first time I think I've never known the BBC absolutely crack it they cracked the, the lines between real and scare, and people believed. That was horrible. That was hot. That yeah. was real, and it was so well done. I, I, and I, I, I remember watching it when it came out that night, and I was, I went, I went, I, I, I was freaked out. I they thought did have to I was worried straight after it. I remember they had to kind of, like, about a quarter of an hour after it had finished, they had to put like a sort of an emergency bulletin saying, "No, it wasn't real." Mm. Because it was so, you know, because it was done so well as yeah. a live yeah. thing. And they've they've never broadcast it again. No. I think because it it caused such a stir. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the most effective things that they've ever done as a sort of a Halloween uh, mm. special. Yeah, because I think we all invested in Sarah Green and Michael Parkinson. You know, they're 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 like you know they're they're they're, they're nice people. They you know? are. Oh my God, they are lovely ah. people. So we've uh, <laughs> we've touched on on TV. Uh, James Kennedy has also tweeted in uh, about TV a TV movie called. Crowhaven Farm as being something that terrified him as a kid. Don't know that. Um, and um, not aimed at kids, but the miniseries of It. Someone talked mm. about someone here. Sarah has tweeted in that she saw it aged 11 at a sleepover and I quote, it scarred me for months. Now, there's an interesting point, again, of how the the, the thing, how the, the, the boundaries have kind of slipped. I know that a lot of kids have seen the, the latest version of It. Mm. And now it's a 15 rated film, so something kind of. Um, it, was it PG 13 in America? Or was it, was it a proper R? Oh, I can't remember. But it's close I have it's a feeling it might knuckle. have been PG 13, but yeah. I'm not 100% sure. That's a weird one because it has a lot of the, the characteristics of children's horror. But bits of it just go a bit too far. It's that whole thing kids being in a horror film again, where you yeah. talked about that rather than it being for kids yes although I can imagine if you're the age of 11 or 12 you probably would see that and probably would be you would well I haven't seen it it's yeah, too scary for me that. but it's really scary. <laughs> I've got the scare Good. threshold of a 7 year old yeah, but, but yeah. Um, so, there's, yeah. The, there's a particular type of children's horror TV um, that I find really interesting which is anthology series mm. like Goosebumps is probably the most famous one but going back a bit further you have things like Are You Afraid of the Dark um, Drama Rama Spooky which is a British one um, Shadows which is from the 1970s um, and British as well and more recently something like Creeped Out which yeah. um, is a new show on the BBC um, which is very much in the vein of something like Goosebumps so all these individual stories each episode tells a different scary story um, for kids and usually about kids as well and that seems to be like a really enduring type of horror on TV for children, very popular. But something that I think is really interesting about them is Goosebumps in particular is famous for its twist endings where you think the monster has been defeated, but actually it, it comes back again um, and you're left with this lack of resolution. And that's the kind of thing you don't see in children's horror films. Mm -hmm. It's definitely it's more popular on um more common on television and I think it's one of those ways in which we might take it for granted that TV is cosy and safe um, actually those endings could leave more of an effect it's that they're not necessarily cushioned by being in your home um, and watching it on TV and those are some of the things that I found the most frightening as a kid 
let's uh, let's have a little bit of creeped out yeah. in that case, and then people can understand what we're talking about. And if you ever hear his whistle, you know something creepy is about to unfold. Somehow he senses when a tale is about to happen. He's drawn to them. It's a little bit of creepy. This is it's an odd one, this, isn't it? Because it's British, but it has a lot of American... What, what, I can't understand the, the logic of it. It's a British and Canadian co-production. Oh. Yeah. Um, Goosebumps was also Canadian. Are, Are You Afraid of the Dark was Canadian. So they seem to be really good at the children's horror anthology thing. They've I don't know what it dark, is about Canada. A lot but... of darkness there, yeah. I guess. <laughs> a lot of dark, long, dark yeah. nights uh, in Canada. Uh, okay, fantastic. Um, so, uh, again, do continue to tweet us the things that filled you with dread as a child. Um, again, not homework. I'm talking about things on uh, screen. Um, and <laughs> the... Um, uh, Lucy Beth uh, is enjoying us, uh, listening to us on the way to uh, the see John Williams. I think Round the Twist, she said, um, had some Goosebumps-esque oh, yeah. episodes. Round the Twist was an Australian. Mm-hmm. I have been to that um, to that uh, lighthouse, um, and uh, yeah, it's not the same inside. You'd be disappointed to hear um, from Round the Twist. Tim, um, is there any other? Would you like to give us another of your top five, another film choice? Oh, it's very difficult. I, I'm. I was going to prompt. This was really one for you, Cat. I was okay. going to prompt Watership Down because this is an this is an expert area for mm-hmm. you, and I think I I pass it over because Watership Down just has a brutality that. And we talked about this um, this idea that usually films or um, kids related horror films have some kind of um, recompense or uh, an optimism or less grim ending or less positive or more positivity at the end Tim looks like he's about to cry here Watch It Down doesn't um, um discuss hmm. oh alright it's, it's it does it I mean I, yeah, maybe I'm not that's sure how I agree I, with that I haven't seen it in many years okay that's interesting and I think that it's a resonance yeah that it's um it's brutality is what I what resonates with me so you've probably you, you know, you're, you're an expert. You've seen you, you will have seen it many times more recently than I would ever have. It's been ten, fifteen years since I've seen mm-hmm. it because I don't know if I want to return to it. it um, it's, discuss. It's um, very interesting <laughs> and unsurprising that you remember it as as just being something that's very brutal and um, pessimistic. Put me right. Um, <laughs> but so it's Watership Down, um, released in 1978. Um, so it's recently celebrated its 40th anniversary, would you believe? Um, And it's one of those films that I don't think we could necessarily classify as being part of the horror genre, but contains lots and lots and lots of very horrific, frightening elements. Um, And And Art Garfunkel. And Art Garfunkel. (laughs) That's the scariest bit. Well, I mean, so people either tend to remember it as being very, very scary or very, very sad because Mm. of um, this scene where um, there's a kind of rabbit death scene and bright eyes by Art Art Garfunkel plays and it's very it's a big tearjerker so yeah it tends to get remembered as very sad very scary or both Um, and especially with the 40th anniversary having just passed um, there's been articles and lots of kind of memes that I've been tagged in on Facebook things like this um, where people will put a screenshot of a rabbit with like its teeth bared and drool and blood going everywhere 
with this is the scariest children's film I've ever seen or things like or can you believe this was a children's film and things like that so it te- it does get remembered as being full of brutality but um I'm interested in Watership Down part because of that obviously because of the children's horror aspect of it but I also think there's a lot more to Watership Down that tends to get eclipsed by that focus on the horrific aspects of it um and so I'm even holding uh, an academic event which is dedicated um, to discussing the film and we will be discussing some of the horrific elements of it but also thinking about some of the other things um, that are interesting about it as well um, like its style of animation and the its place in um, British kind of cinema history um, and that's an event that I'm holding at the University of Warwick um, on November the 10th which people can come to um, if they would like to learn more about that wow. um, and how would they find out more? To, um, to, that? to find out more about that, you can go to the Twitter account, which is at watershipdown40, so watershipdown40. Um, and there's also a website, which is watershipdown40.wordpress.com for more information and to find out how to get tickets to come to that event, which is on Saturday, the 10th of November. That 40-year line is particularly terrifying for me because I remember my mum taking me to see it at the cinema and now I discover it was 40 years ago. That feels barely mm. possible. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, I've got a clip um, from Watership Down. Uh, okay. Let's have a play this Go and then um, if you are feeling um, you know, emotionally delicate, do get your uh, tissues ready. It's me, Bigwig. I found you. I found you. He's been hurt. Look at that wound on his shoulder. I remember you. You're the one that saw it coming. But what happened? Our warren. Destroyed. Destroyed? How? Men came. Filled in the burrows. Couldn't get out. There was a strange sound. You see? The air turned bad. Runs blocked with dead bodies. Everything turned mad. Modern earth, roots, grass, all pushed into the air. <laughs> so yeah there we are That's I apologise <laughs> Lucy's um, uh, who's been who's listening in uh, also pointed out that, that Plague Dogs which was the kind of the sort of follow up to that was also yeah. terrifying I um, haven't seen Plague Dogs I have, I have to say <sighs> I need to yeah, yeah. Um, Lucy describes it as one of the most distressing things she's ever watched as a child or adult which Plague Dogs or Watership Down Plague Dogs okay so just have yeah. that in the back of your mind yeah <laughs> Fantastic. Um, is it time for some music? Do we think? Levity, I think, would be good. I've got some perfect, the perfect thing. Please don't say bright eyes. No. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's not quite. Oh, oh. Okay, so... You may not regard that as a horror film, but a number of people on Twitter have talked about that. It's never-ending story, um, the theme tune by Lamal and never-ending story um, is a film that a lot of people have been quite, you know, quite frightened by as kids. It has lots of crazy monsters and stuff, but it also has quite a because I remember the, the the enemy in that the baddie is the nothing and it and it's sort of wiping out all existence. It was quite a kind of 
nihilistic mm. kind of uh, existential threat uh, to them. So that's never-ending story, which a lot mm. of people have commented on. Um, but we were talking uh, before that about Watch It Down, but mm. I wasn't allowed to play Bright Eyes. <laughs> So, um, so you yeah. want to mention something else about that? Well, I mean, speaking of nihilism, um, so Tim was saying that he remembers the film as being very brutal, but also kind of lacking um, optimism, um, which, and as I said before, um, I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. Um, but it's like I said, the film gets mostly remembered for the horrible aspects, for the really scary aspects, which... Um, covers up the fact or ignores the fact that it is a film about these small vulnerable creatures, rabbits, um, which we can see as kind of a stand-in for children, mm. maybe, um, who have to go out into the world, um, encounter all these various threats, sometimes other rabbits and other scary animals as well. Um, and they, they particularly encounter this other kind of group of rabbits led by... Um, the formidable general wound wart, who is this big, horrible rabbit, who is kind of like a sort of fascist leader. And he runs his rabbit warren a bit like a kind of concentration camp. So it gets very, very dark. So really, we can we can see the film as still quite politically resonant um, and relevant to our current times, even because of that sense of having like a, a good band of underdogs really under rabbits is that a thing i'm not really sure um having to fight back against these formidable powerful um dictators essentially um and then i think the ending of the film um it does end with the death of one of the rabbits but the 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 kind of hero rabbit hazel um but he's become old so we see many years pass they've defeated the bad rabbits they've kind of saved their own warren um, and he kind of just peacefully dies and goes on into the rabbit afterlife, which I think is very moving. So there is something still very, um, I think, optimistic about the film, which can be important for children to see the idea that we do need to fight back against people who um, don't believe in the, you know, the rights of other creatures or other beings. Mm. Yeah, I seem to remember that ending personally. This probably says a lot about me. I found that ending as a child profoundly depressing actually <laughs> I, I think because we're so used to having happy ever after mm. um, and this has happy ever after and then you still die um, and I seem to remember that being quite upsetting because uh, it kind of reminded me that uh, you know, everyone was, dies yeah exactly but uh, <laughs> hey let's, uh, well, let's... I have to say I never saw Watership Down as a kid I don't know um, if that was deliberate on my parents' part or anything, but I saw it as a teenager, so I was just kind of at the right age to find it extremely moving, mm. uh, made me cry a lot, but it, it didn't quite tra it didn't traumatize me in a way that a lot of other people have been traumatized by it. Uh, well, we hope we're not uh, causing flashbacks to you mm -hmm. at home. Um, and uh, let's move on to another film mm -hmm. that that you want to talk about. So tell us about this one. Um, so. I want to talk particularly about animation in children's horror. Um, so this relates to Watership Down as well, because that was a film which um, is animated. And I think a lot of people might have, you know, people, people see the fact that it's animated and think that it's for children. There is that big association of animation with children. Um, and then are 
as a result, even more shocked and surprised when they see the horrific elements. Um, so there's this question of whether animation actually... Um, does it lessen horror? Does it make it less scary? Or can it actually sometimes make it more scary? Um, and so a particular film that we can talk about in relation to this is the film Coraline, which is um, from 2009. Um, it's also a stop-motion animated film um, by the studio Laker, who also made Paranorman. Um, and Coraline is something that... I love very much, but it is genuinely very terrifying, I think, for children and adults alike. Well, let's, let's play a bit. Let's get you in the mood. Oops, hang on. Sorry. I had a bit of uh, Jetson Airplane there in the mm. background. Um, Mom? <laughs> what are you doing here in the middle of the night? You're just in time for supper, dear. You're not my mother. My mother doesn't have... Buttons? <laughs> Do you like them? I'm your other mother, silly. Now go tell your other father that supper's ready. Well, go on. He's in his study. Hello? Hello, Coraline. Want to hear my new song? My father can't play piano. No need to. This piano plays me. Ugh. I am uh, sorry, but she said to tell you the food's ready. Mmm, who's starving? Raise your hand. Whoa! <laughs> you can't tell, of course, on the radio, but the, uh, the buttons. Mm -hmm. Really creepy. Yeah, so... The, a lot of the characters in the film have buttons where their eyes should be, just these black, unblinking buttons. Yeah, so Coraline is a film about um, a, a girl called Coraline. She has moved into a new house with her parents, but she doesn't really like it very much. She feels like her parents are ignoring her a bit. Um, and then she discovers um, a trapdoor. So we've already spoken about trapdoors a bit with the hole. Mm. So this idea is coming back again, the idea of transgressing and of into course something. The, um the the claymation eighties classic trap yes. door, yes. which was something that were very much um, influenced me as a child. Mm. Carry on, sorry. Um, yeah, so this idea of cross, crossing a maybe a boundary um, that you're not supposed to. So Coraline finds this door. She goes into it and finds a parallel world where everything looks almost but not quite the same um, as the things in her real house, and that includes her parents. So as we heard in that clip, she encounters other mother and other father who are these versions of her parents, but ever so slightly more attractive. They are much nicer to her. They give her all the things that she wants. They spoil her. Um, but as the film goes along, Coraline starts to realise that this is actually all a bit too good to be true um, and that actually it's all just a trick that's been made by the other mother who is actually this monster who wants to eat her soul. Ooh. Very lovely. Oh, um, so Coraline basically has to defeat uh, the other mother in order to save her soul, essentially. Wow. Um, but how does this relate to animation? So it's a stop-motion animated film. And th there are a number of reasons that I think people find this so scary, um, but they all kind of relate to this idea of the uncanny. 
um, which is this sort of the sense of fear that you can get when you're uncertain about something, especially if you're uncertain about um, whether something is alive or not. So stop motion evokes that because they're these figures, these animated, these figures which are inanimate, but they're brought to life through the medium of animation. So we can see that they are these kind of physical dolls, but they produce this sense of uneasiness and uncertain uncertainty when they're animated because they look as if they're these, these inanimate objects that are moving by themselves. We're not scared of Wallace and Gromit, though. It's more... No. More Wallace and Gromit are kind of cuddly, though, hmm. aren't they? They're made of plasticine, and we can also kind of see that they're made of plasticine, hmm. and they're these sort of cuddly, round figures. Um, whereas Coral in Coraline, the design, the aesthetic of the film is not cuddly. Everything looks a bit more... Angular is the word. Angular, yeah. Um, and... <laughs> Then you also have the fact of the that Coraline's other parents have got those buttons where their eyes should be and that they look like her real parents but are not quite the same. So that is, is also uncanny in the sense that you're not quite able to tell the difference between, mm. between the two. It's, it's when something is both familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. In the world of robotics, there is a, a concept called the uncanny. Yeah, that's right. This, which is that people will find... Um, you know, a robot that looks like a human to be appealing up to a certain point of looking like a person. And then when it gets really quite nearly human, but not, that's when people find it unpleasant and uncanny. There is a kind of point at which, yeah, we find it creepy, which is like why we all hate those um, CGI... um, uh, Vincent Price, yeah, in um, the Peter Cushing in Star Wars looks so weird. Yeah, because he's nearly Peter Cushing, but not. But quite. not quite. Yeah, yeah, and we can see that he's not quite. Yeah. yeah. So, Cor- yeah, Coraline is really uncanny just in in the story. This idea of seeing another world, which is very very familiar, but there's also something unfamiliar and unsettling about it. But there's also the fact that it's stop motion animated, which adds another layer of uncanniness. Um, and so a lot of the time animation tends to be assumed to be this thing that could make potentially scary things less scary, which I think is why Watership Down, for example, has a U certificate, mm-hmm. which means it's suitable really? for everybody, apparently. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and and Coraline is a, is a PG, so again, this idea that maybe the animation makes everything a little bit less scary, mm-hmm. but I think it actually goes the other way that the stop the fact that it's stop motion animated it adds this uncanniness and then makes the whole thing even more scary than it could have been otherwise Mm. and of course there's a japanese aesthetic because um sugi is the influence on you know is the biggest influence on the film in terms of his creation the idea that there's a that the way that the color palette alters from the real world Mm. to the other world and that's the i love how it's more muted in in the real, real one, yeah, yeah, and more colourful in the in the other one. It's okay. yeah, it's more colourful and more appealing yeah. in the other world. But then, as Coraline realises that the other world is actually not so good after all, yeah. the colours then actually become quite garish. So they're they're still bright, but they go from being warm and and comforting to very garish. So that sense that something is really wrong. And the other thing that's really great is the film is actually very slow paced in a very deliberate way compared mm. to what you might get in, a, in a, a mainstream Disney animation, for yeah. example. I love how it takes its time 
you know, um, and that pacing it really allows you to invest in the story. So you know, who directed it? Is a, is a, hmm? Who directed it? The same guys who did Paranor- Paranorman. Oh. Um, well, the, it's the same studio. Same the studio, director sorry. is Henry Selick, who made oh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Yeah, and, and then he made Coraline. But yeah, it's the same studio that made Paranorman. Um, and then since then, they've also Lyca, done um, Lyca. Yeah. They've done The Box Trolls and Kubo and the Two Strings, all of which are really oh, beautifully beautiful. animated. But with Coraline, the combination of the story and the animation together result in something very quite creepy. And of course, it's Neil Gaiman, isn't it? Mm. Yes, novel, that's so, right. You know, they're in, the source material lends itself, of course, because it's Gaiman mm-hmm. all over. I've yeah. not seen it, but I think it may be uh, an activity for Halloween. Absolutely. I think you'll love it. I'm going to play do. some music now um, from uh, another stop-motion animation, which is... Is it a horror film or is it a Christmas film? I'll give you a clue there. But this is something we cannot not play. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is well, the film is the Nightmare Before Christmas, and it's this is Halloween, um, as sung by Jake Skellington. Loads of different versions of this. Marilyn Manson uh, recorded a version of this song. I'm not going to play that. Yeah, it's not very good. Um, obviously, that's just my opinion. But I'm going to play a version that maybe you haven't quite all heard before. It's just the an earlier demo recording Danny Elfman uh, and this is Halloween because well it is right brilliant this is Halloween demo version by Danny Elfman thank you for all of your tweets and your contributions lots of people here were scared as children James uh, Kennedy Central has tweeted in that there was a BBC children's drama in 1986 called The Cuckoo Sister he doesn't remember much about it, but uh, he does remember there was a haunting dream sequence with photographs crying that, and I quote, did him in. Carl Josbury was disturbed by Sapphire and Steel, but he had to watch it because Joanna Lumley. Um, Laura didn't, Cr- didn't finish the sentence there because Joanna Lumley well, I was in it. That's good enough. Okay. That's good enough. Yeah. Um, Laura Creven um, watched The X-Files long before she probably should have, uh, and horror films with their older cousin. And... Uh, John uh, Spooklish, I'm not sure that's his full name, Um, at secondary school, they used to be able to rent 18 videos from the local convenience store. They weren't bothered by the man in their uniform uh, in the 80s, and they saw films like The Evil Dead 2 and Reanimator that uh, he and his younger sister howled with laughter at. So this, oh, the joy! Yeah, but these aren't films that were made for you. Uh, B-Film commented that they think the single greatest moment of horror in a kid's film goes to Man Was in the Forest Today. And the second... In Bambi. The second is how uh, yeah, Pinocchio gets turned into a donkey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's well, pretty dark. Very frightening. Frightening, yeah. frightening yeah. stuff. So we're here at the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the show. Still a chance for you to uh, tweet us with your... Uh, scary film contributions and of course if you have any questions for Dr. Cat who is here um, we're just going to sort of mention perhaps a few more um, sort of honourable mentions really that we haven't touched on today and one which we have been tweeted about repeatedly Chitty Chitty Bang Bang of course um, based loosely on an Ian Fleming novel came out in 1968 Ken Hughes directed but it might not be classically a horror film, but my God, The Child Catcher. I mean, how many how many people can, can watch that film without being slightly scarred by The Child Catcher? It really is just that one bit as well, mm. isn't it, that, that is scary yeah, in that film. Pops. The rest is very, very happy, very nice, yeah. kind of like Mary Poppins-esque. It's, it, yeah. I, it's, a, it's a genius creation. The actor who played him 
Robert Haltman is is just nightmare fuel. He was a ballet dancer, um, and that really helps with that he moves in this kind of lithe and sinuous kind of slight, very kind of creepy way like yeah. almost spider-like isn't he um, so yes many people have mentioned that so I think that's another and one much, to mention and much parodied in dark comedies as well mm. yeah it has appeared in the I think it's been an influence in *The Gentleman* at least. I, I, I remember before I had kids of my own, uh, I went to see the stage show of it with my um, my nephew, who was about five at the time, and remember really sort of, you know, reassuring, you know, trying to sort of reassure him it's going to be fine. And then the child catcher came on, and I thought, oh, I'll I'll cower in fear because you know that's what you do, right? With the child catcher, and he immediately leaned across to me loudly in the cinema and said, "Don't worry, Uncle Blake. He's only pretending. It's not real." <laughs> um, so he was braver than I was. Uh, any other mentions for you, Tim? Any other films you'd like to to come up? Um, I does this fit into the category Beetlejuice? Yeah. Yeah. Does it fit? As a, does it fit into the category? Because I always think again, it's aimed mm. knowingly at adults rather than kids. Discuss. It's certainly uh. suitable for for kids, though. Yeah, I think. Um, and you do have a child, or is she more of a teenager character in the Winona Ryder character? Um, so there is there is definitely a, a very childish appeal to that film I think and just the some of the look of it the sort of strange designs um, that very kind of Tim Burton-esque colour palette as well um, is something that seems both strange and unsettling but there is something childish um, about it and I'll, the I'll, character I'll, of Beetlejuice is like a little big kid isn't he he's a big kid yeah. and it's just and it's just hilarious he's just He's just genius in that film, Michael Keane. Mm. Uh, and then I will offer up again, um, just to keep the Tani, Danny, sorry, the Tim Burton, Danny Elfman link going. I will offer up Edward Scissorhands. Um, I, I don't know if this fills into kids' horror or just a lovely, glorious fairy tale. But again, it's it's riding that balance between tink, tinkling on the edge, mm. of, yeah. And of course, and the darkness, of course, it's that whole thing we talked about with Coraline. That world where the normal world is less inviting than the other world. And that, the other world in this is Edward Scissorhands, and is in the world that he takes you into is more inviting than the the, the whole classic suburbia meets yeah. the, the, that trait which Spielberg, which Burton, which Joe Dante all take into the suburban world and what's next to it or underneath it or around it is more inviting and scary. Mm, the the hidden darkness hidden beneath darkness. the supposedly perfect uh, suburban yeah. community. Yeah, and we always love to subvert the suburban, for want of a better word. I mm. mean, Lucy Beth just posted another 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 example of ET being scary uh, on Twitter, and again, it's all about the suburban and the subversing, subverting that the yeah. regular world. Yeah, well, it's kids. Like, it's, yeah, the, the the kind of I suppose it is a metaphor for growing up, isn't it? Because we see that there is a bigger world outside our doors that is simultaneously appealing and terrifying. And yeah. that's kind of what growing up is. Discuss. Yeah. Um, okay. so that's, me. that's me done. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, you mentioned the other thing I will say that a lot of people have commented on um, as well. In, and, and this has gone beyond the films, really. When you mentioned Tim Burton, there is Alice... Alice in Wonderland, Alice in the Looking Glass, is possibly, I don't know, one of the first kids. I mean, as a book, it's kind of quite a... I mean, it's fantastical, but it's, it's, it's creepy and scary and, and, and uncanny as well. 
Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember the, the book specifically. Um, what's great about the book, which I'm not sure if it has ever really come through properly in any of the films, is that it's always kind of poking fun at the adult world. This idea that everything around Alice doesn't make any sense, everything's nonsense, and all she wants to do is to, f to find her way home. And it's always poking fun at things like the education system and all these other values um, in Victorian society when the, when the book was written. And that's something, even if there are not any horror elements in it, that's something that it has in common with a lot of children's horror is that idea of adults just kind of being a bit useless, that they can't help you. Mm. Um, something that we see over and over again in, in children's horror films. It's always up to the kids to just do it on their own. Mm. They're the ones who have to defeat the monsters and adults aren't really going to be much use. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's true. Almost in 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 non horror films <laughs> yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And real life discuss. Yeah. Um, of course, I'm the only person in this room who's a parent. I think so. You know, they have some of these films do have an extra layer for me. I think I am watching them. As I say, watching the, the Witches yesterday again. Um, it's, it's it's great. I get to watch them all over again now uh, and see all this. Dad, it adds another layer, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a little yeah, bit yeah. Um, because you know exactly the the things that that that, that Kat's talking about. There, you're watching it, thinking, "I'm trying to, um, you know, sort of, am I, I'm trying to send these these people out into the world, um, and it is a terrifying world, and it seems more terrifying than ever. Um, and uh, and these films are kind of part of that because they can maybe prepare them for it in ways I can't. Oh gosh. Feeling quite emotional now. Um, we're down to, to the last five minutes of the show. Kat, is there anything else that you would want our listeners to go and watch this Halloween? Any other kids' films that you would like to recommend? Ooh, um, it's a classic Halloween film, I think. So it's not a particularly uh, original idea, but I do love Hocus Pocus. Mm. Um, there, and there's something interesting about the way that Hocus Pocus has has built up such a following over the years because it was a bit of a failure when it when it first came out. It wasn't it didn't actually do that well, um, but then it was shown on TV so many times that it has become this Halloween classic. Um, and now it has a lot of kind of nostalgia value because it's from the 90s and we kind of, we seem to be going through a sort of 90s nostalgia period, especially now as well. But for me, it's the witch characters in the film are just so much fun. Um, Bette Midler and the other witches, there is something really appealing about the their kind of lack of care for anything. They're these stereotypical witch characters who, who hate children, but there's something... Um, very powerful about seeing them just kind of not really give a damn. Am I allowed to say that? I was going to say something much worse. Yeah. So. <laughs> Stick with damn. Yeah, they're almost like these stereotypes of kind of that stereotype of the evil feminist who um, doesn't need men and wants to kill children, mm. but they kind of take it up to 11 and there's something very camp and very fun about that idea of the witch and they're, they're just having a blast with it. And of course, you know, you, you, you talk about there the, the kind of feminist dimension to it. Um, you know, there are some, um, you know, there are a number of political undertones in all of this stuff. And a lot of it is mm. a kind of um, lack of respect for authority as a virtue yeah. in quite a lot of these films, I guess. Absolutely. I think a lot of them are very anti-authority. Um, on the other hand we've spoken about a lot of the good things that children's horror films can do, but they sometimes do also have um, troubling um, kind of 
ideologies um, dated, uh, some things which are dated about them, like their gender politics, for example. Mm. So, and that's the case for any children's films, that there might be things that are not quite so um, child-friendly, mm. let's say, um, about some of their their morals or, or politics. Mm. So there's a lot of good about them, but, but some of the time... Um, I think we also need to have a, an eye towards, okay, but what values is this teaching my kid about, you know, the role of older spinster women or, you know, the fact that all of these films tend to have um, boys, white boys as, as main characters as well. Kind of mm. where's the diversity in these films as well? Mm. Well, the solution to, to understanding that, of course, is sit down and watch these films with your kids. So if you're out there and you've got... Uh, kids uh, half term next uh, week then sit down uh, fire up the VCR I was going to say there <laughs> we've given you a range of films to have a look at and watch with them and don't leave them alone with them really not because they're likely to be um, traumatised and uh, influenced by them but because you're missing out on some great stuff um, yeah. we're coming up to the end of the show now I'm going to play out with some music but I do want to say thank you so much for everyone thank you Tim for coming in and talking about your traumatised childhood. Toodlepip. And, of course, thank you so much, Dr. Cat, for coming in. Really appreciate that. Um, Dr. Cat, of course, anyone wants to create the opening sequence to that cartoon, then please do uh, come along. Uh, send it to us at Screenborough. Uh, and finally, um, thank you all of you listening at home. We really appreciate that. We do really love hearing from you. So thank you for your tweets, your comments. And I'm going to play out with some music from a film we haven't mentioned, but it's a a, a, a classic children's horror for Ghostbusters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tim's not not looking like you. It's got loads of ghosts it's in it. It's a classic film. Yeah, it's got loads of ghosts in it. Ghost, ghost film. Yeah, it's a yes, horror film. Horror film. Um, and I'm going to play every, a piece of music from it that people uh, maybe haven't heard as much as the Ray Parker Jr. one, but it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so I'm going to play out with. Cleaning Up the Town by Love the it. Bus Boys yep. from Love the it. Ghostbusters soundtrack. Thank you, everyone. Have a fantastic weekend. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.